0: I have a question. I want you to tell me where you believe the boundaries lie between the partner or spouse of your sibling and or closest friend. So for instance, if said partner sent you a text message, just the two of you are on this text thread, would that be crossing the line? Or what if they decide to take you, just you out to lunch? Is that fine? Or what if they decide to buy you a very, very expensive gift that you've been eyeing for yourself just because. It's not your birthday, you didn't have a recent accomplishment, but it's something they wanted to do for you. Not the partner and your friend or sibling, but just them. I want you to think on that as I tell you about the Cooks and the Womacks. Welcome to the first official episode of I'll Tell You What, the podcast. (music) I don't think I've introduced myself in a very long time so let me start there. I'm Ashley. I'm also the co-host of Who I Do which is a wedding podcast for brides and brides-to-be that I host with my best friend. You can also find Who I Do episodes in the same feed if you're in the planning process or if you're a vendor or if you know somebody that's getting married you may want to listen to those episodes too but I am so thrilled to also announce that I am the official host obviously (laughs) of the I'll Tell You What podcast. I can't believe we've made it here, y'all. So for those that are listening to this for the first time and maybe you missed the series on TikTok or on Instagram, let me give you some context and tell you how we got here. I'll tell you what began as a Black History video series on TikTok. So for Black History Month, I wanted to do something a little bit differently than what you usually expect for Black History Month, right? I wanted to find the stories of the weddings and marriages of really prominent Black figures because I felt like that's not the side that we usually see when it comes to Black History Month. Like Black History Month has always been extremely linear. It's like civil rights figures, activists, people that have been the first or the highest or the biggest whatever, right? Like those are the people we know. We don't hear about their weddings and we don't hear about their marriages. And I feel like as someone who has experienced her own wedding, two weddings to be precise, and as someone who has been, I guess, aligned with the wedding industry for the last almost four years, I know how much goes into planning your wedding. Like every little detail is important. And for something that sometimes isn't as celebrate it in the way that it should. I just want it to be able to celebrate that. Overall, there is this disdain when it comes to weddings. And I know you're probably like, what? No, there's not. Yes, yes, there is. And the reason why I say that is because if someone gets engaged, there's always someone that's going to tell them what they could have done with that money instead. Instead of just being happy for them, instead of assuming that they can't afford this wedding that they're planning, instead of thinking that this isn't what that person ultimately wants or deserves to have, they start to take them down. And I believe that honestly, you put so much of your hopes and dreams and aspirations for not only yourself, in which you want to project yourself to be as either a bride or a groom or a marrier. But as a married couple, I just wanted us to be able to cover that, but also in the context of Black history. So that's kind of how I'll tell you what came about. I initially thought that I would just be posting this on TikTok and the like 14,000 followers I had at the time would engage, comment, like, maybe see it, I don't know. And it evolved well beyond that. We're about 8,000 followers away from hundred thousand, which is wild. We've already surpassed like a hundred subscribers on YouTube, which extremely thankful for. Thank y'all for that. But yeah, so that's how this evolved. It seems as if we want to hear these stories. I think too, for some of these people, it's like you got to know them or you were introduced to them when you were a child. There's somebody you might have learned about in grade school, or maybe it's somebody you never heard about, or maybe you knew of them, but you didn't really know the intimate details of them. Meaning you didn't really know why they were a celebrity beyond maybe one project they were in or one accomplishment of theirs, right? And so I'm really excited to continue to share these stories with y'all in a visual platform and an audio platform that y'all can enjoy every single week. Now that I've said that, let me give you the official, I'll tell you what spiel. So I'll tell you what is your weekly deep dive at some of the most epic engagements, weddings and marriages that have occurred throughout Black history. Our trip down memory lane is not met with malintent, but comes from a place of nostalgia inspiration, but most of all is rooted in realism. Let me break that down for you as well. So sometimes we don't get a chance to see or think of Black history in a very full light. When it comes to Black weddings or black marriage in a historical context is very limited to like jumping the broom maybe something a little more recent but not really we don't hear about these elaborate weddings that took place we don't see those pictures when you don't see it when you don't hear it you assume it didn't happen but i am here to tell you it did you just want to reflect go back in time the inspiration side really comes from when we're able to dive into the stories and the details of the wedding if i'm going to tell you wedding details you Also want to know what were they eating? And I try so hard to find y'all those wedding details, I swear. But it's, you know, it's beyond that. It's about the dresses that are picked, the venue, the amount of guests, just all of the details about the wedding. And then of course, the rooted in realism piece. These figures, these notable people are still just people. They're flawed individuals like you and I. Not every relationship is perfect. I'm not by any means condoning any of these stories I'm telling you about. But I think we need to realize and remember that some of these stories occurred in a whole different time where the laws were different, where motivations were different. Sometimes it's hard for us to see people from different time periods outside of the lens of today. That's kind of where I'm going from when I say rooted in realism. Let's just remember they are people like you and I. So, saying all of that to say, I have one more thing to note before we dive into the story. And I've mentioned this before too. So, if you follow, Follow on TikTok or Instagram. You've probably heard me say this, but give me a little bit of grace. So what I mean by that is I'm going to put together a really good story for you every single week. But I may pronounce something wrong and or I pronounced it right in my head, but (laughs) it didn't maybe come out in that way and I didn't notice it in the playback. So my bad, OG. Or maybe this fact that I found printed in multiple places actually changed from the time it was printed to the time I'm telling you this story. There may have been a detail that was omitted, something shifted. I do apologize for things like that. Let me know. I will definitely correct myself. No, I'm a person again, like you. And I make mistakes sometimes, and it's okay. Just wanted to get that out the way. Give me a little bit of grace with the research, give me a little bit of grace with the production of this visual podcast, but then also in the playback as well. And I promise, this is truly the last thing. If you are not following us on any of the social platforms, I highly suggest you do so. If you're watching on YouTube, I love that. Thank you. Please subscribe so you always see when the next episode drops. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're watching the video on YouTube or if you're listening to the podcast, just check the show notes or check the notes below and you will be able to see all of the platforms we're on and how to get to them easily. Now that we've gotten all the preliminaries out the way, let's dive into the story of the Cooks and the Womacks. So let's start with Sam Cooke. Y'all know Sam Cooke. You send me, a change is gonna come. He actually started as a gospel artist, but then became a crossover soul and pop artist by the late 1950s. He was also a civil rights activist and an entrepreneur. He had his own record label. And he had several Los Angeles studios where musicians and singers could come in, have access to instruments, record, and keep the money kind of within the black community. Well, somewhere along the way, he met Dolores Elizabeth Milligan Cook, or Dee Dee Mohawk as she was known on stage. Dolores was a singer and dancer from Los Angeles. Now, there isn't a lot of information about their courtship or even their marriage, but I do know they got married in 1953. That was the same year he embraced secular music and evolved beyond being a gospel artist. So in 1958, a woman accused him of being the father of her child. Now, he paid the woman $5,000, not because he actually believed he was the father of the child, but because he just didn't want to take off work to deal with this back and forth of a paternity suit. Now, I believe around this time he was actually separated from Dolores for a few years, but she took him to court because she thought he was trying to have a default divorce without discussing it with her. Now, default divorce, for those that don't know, is when a judge grants a divorce without the involvement of the spouse. Thank you, DivorceNet.com. This actually ended in their divorce. So Sam later said, quote, we just couldn't make it and we decided to call it quits but we're still good friends so let me tell you what happened the following year Dolores and her friend were driving home from work when either she had a heart attack or something happened but basically her car slammed into a house and she died not sure what happened to the friend assuming she passed away as well when Sam found out about this he paid for the funeral and canceled his upcoming performance in Miami but a year after that he married again to Barbara Campbell his childhood sweetheart they met when he was 18 and she was 13 but by this This time he was in his late 20s and she was in her mid 20s but they already had a daughter named Linda. His dad Reverend Charles Cook officiated the ceremony though he did not agree with the union at all. Now Barbara and Sam's marriage wasn't all roses and daisies. Allegedly Sam was a known Lothario or a playboy but both of them cheated on each other. Also allegedly through that Sam would actually go on to have two more children and would purchase a home in Los Angeles with a pool. That meant they were doing quite well for themselves. That home was worth about $150,000. But sadly, tragedy would strike in 1963. Their youngest child, a toddler named Vincent, accidentally slipped in the pool and drowned when Barbara wasn't looking. In the year after that, we must discuss what happened on the night of December 10th, 1964. So typical night, Sam and Barbara had dinner. Afterwards, he would go to this restaurant in Hollywood called Martoni's. There, he would meet up with his good friend Al Schmidt and his wife. While there, everyone's having a good time he's shown off this $5,000 in cash he had on him and soon began to schmooze and get comfy with this 22 year old named Eliza Boyer. But for this, we're going to call her Lisa. He was supposed to meet Schmidt at a club called PJ's, but basically took too long and Schmidt went home by the time he actually arrived. So after Sam and Lisa leave PJ's, they head to the Hacienda Motel. Now, this place was a cheap kind of sleazy motel, rooms for $3 a night, and it It was very popular among sex workers and pimps. Now, the details beyond this actually vary depending on who you ask, but essentially just know that it's a very complicated matter. Sam and Lisa would go back to the hotel room. Now, Lisa would say that she didn't feel comfortable, so she would rush into the bathroom, realize the door didn't really lock, and so she runs back out, grabs the clothes on the bed, including Sam's and his wallet, and just books it down the hall. Now, Sam goes looking for and ends up with where the hotel manager is and the hotel manager would then beat and shoot him to death. Sam at the time of his passing was wearing only a thin sports jacket and one shoe. Now his death became such a controversial moment. A lot of people felt as if it was a conspiracy and there are a lot of details that weren't clear in terms of what actually occurred. Now, while the world questioned the facts of Sam Cook's death, a wife became a widow and was mourning the loss of her spouse. Photographs around this time would show her being comforted and checked on by various family members and friends throughout the coroner's inquest and his two funerals that took place about a week later now about a week after that and shortly after the funerals Christmas and the new year would soon arrive now what would be the life of mrs Barbara cook without her husband and the father of her children well one she petitioned to be the administrator of the cook estate in addition to their home in la she believed he left about nine thousand dollars in property and had about fifty thousand dollars in royalty income that was to be paid out for inflation purposes that nine thousand would be about 87 thousand today and that fifty thousand would be about 483,000 today. In February 1965, Jet Magazine would report that, could it be, Mrs. Sam Cooke wasn't just dating, but was engaged to Bobby Womack, who was Sam's mentee and backing guitarist. Now that would explain why these two were spotted at various Los Angeles nightclubs together and why Barbara was also showing off her ring and bragging about them getting married soon. But I want you to know that people were questioning this because one, it had barely been two months from when her husband, her childhood sweetheart, the father of her children had died. And Bobby was almost a decade younger than her. So it was like like the audacity was truly flagrant. Now Barbara said, he's so much like Sam in so many ways. Sometimes you wonder, how can you be this lucky twice? They asked her father-in-law, how did he feel about this? And Reverend Cook said, you know what? She is free to do whatever she wants to do. But what we don't like is that a 30-year-old woman is marrying this 20-year-old boy and bringing him in over Sam's 11-year-old girl, Linda. Bobby admitted he had feelings for Barbara for years, though she didn't know, or maybe she felt the same and never revealed it. Now apparently Sam would be gone traveling for work and Bobby would be around the house or Bobby would just interact with Barbara and maybe the kids throughout the years just because of how close they all were and maybe that is where these feelings actually began. He said quote I actually feel that he would want me to do this the he meaning Sam. He also said it took her about a month to accept the proposal which makes me think if you do the math like left I did on that behind the music episode that he likely proposed to her around mid-January. And if the timing syncs up, that's about a month after Sam died. But Barbara said the same though. She also said that she had a conversation about something like this with Sam and he said whatever made her and the kids happy would make him happy. Again, these were different times. So on February 26, 1965, Barbara and Bobby went to the Los Angeles County Courthouse to get married. Barbara wore a lime dress with pearl earrings, a pearl necklace, and brown alligator shoes with a purse to match. Bobby wore a blue suit but this was a request from Barbara. Now allegedly this suit once belonged to Sam. I know. But because he was under 21 and didn't have the permission of his parents their application to get married was denied. And can you imagine because the press was there taking pictures and capturing this entire moment only for them to not be married. If at first you don't succeed try try again but they would only need to try one more time. So the day after his 21st birthday on March 5th 19th 1965, Bobby became the husband to Barbara Cook and the stepfather to her daughters, Linda and Tracy. Now, as you would imagine, a lot of people in the music industry were pissed about this marriage. Bobby said he'd go on to play at a club and they'd introduce him as, quote, the boy that married Sam Cook's wife. He was seen as a traitor and an opportunist. And this really came as a surprise to him. He really thought people would embrace this way more than they actually did. Now in 1966, Barbara and Bobby would have a child, a son named Vincent Dwayne. This would be the first child of Bobby's, but would join 12-year-old Linda and 5-year-old Tracy. And outside of the occasional news surrounding the aftermath from Sam's death, you didn't hear much about the Walmax. But that would change in 1970. Barbara said one day she found Bobby in bed with her 17-year-old daughter Linda. She said, you effing bee, what are you doing with my daughter? She then shot him with a 32, which grazed his temple and he ran out the home. So needless to say that moment ended their marriage and according to Bobby would be the last time Linda would speak to her mother. Their divorce would be finalized in 1971. Bobby would say we parted on friendly terms. It doesn't seem like Barbara remarried after Bobby but Bobby would actually get married two more times. So about two or three years after his divorce from Barbara Bobby would briefly marry his secretary Evelyn Evans. He said that marriage failed because quote she never thought she really had me but Evelyn said quote I'm a career girl and that's that. So that's that. But then something horrible happened in 1974. Bobby's brother Harry was staying with him. But Harry's girlfriend, Patricia Wilson, and also the mother of their three-year-old, would come to the house and stab him to death with the steak knife. Now, allegedly, Patricia saw woman's clothes or a woman's underwear and assumed he was cheating on her and was going to leave. Later, it was revealed that actually the clothes belonged to Bobby's girlfriend. Don't know what they were doing in that room, but... Regardless, it was a very sad ending for Harry and more specifically their child who who was now parentless. But one day while driving down the street, Bobby saw this young lady. He did a double take and lost focus on the road because he almost crashed his Rolls Royce into a city bus. He said to himself, how could anybody be that fine? Now the woman he was referring to was 19 year old Regina Banks and 31 year old Bobby Womack would continue to drive that route just to catch a smile and a wave. Eventually it actually graduated to a real introduction and it didn't seem like they dated for too long after that because Bobby proposed during dinner at an Italian restaurant off Sunset Boulevard. On December 31st, 1975, Bobby and Regina got married at Cornerstone Baptist Church in Los Angeles. They were two hours late because they waited until the morning of to get their marriage licenses and to get Regina's gown, which also needed alteration. Their officiant was Reverend James Cleveland. Yes, that's Reverend Cleveland. Bobby gave Regina a five carat solitaire diamond ring that cost $30,000. Today, that ring would cost about mm, a little more than $163,000. He also bought her $3,000 wedding gown and a Lapsa Apso puppy as a wedding gift. It would put off their honeymoon and reception to work on a benefit to help singer Jackie Wilson, who had recently suffered a heart attack just three months before. And though they were nearly 13 years apart in age, her mom said Bobby is really blessed to have a girl like her. Now, Bobby finally felt like everything he wanted in a marriage was finally happening with Regina. They were frequently seen having a good time at parties and events. And less than three years after getting married, Bobby and Regina had their first born, Truth Bobby Womack. The baby boy's name was suggested by musician and friend Sly Stone. Now around the same time his son was born, a Bobby Womack would be arrested at the US and Canadian border for allegedly driving a stolen Rolls Royce. Bobby swear it wasn't him, but actually a pimp he heard about with the same name. It the man that was arrested had Bobby's business card. Four months later Bobby and Regina would experience a tragedy that no parent would want. Little Truth Bobby was found wedged between the wall and the bed. The child would be rushed to UCLA Medical Center where he would be in a coma but sadly would pass away a week later. Bobby would say this moment was partially the reason why he suffered from a cocaine addiction that began around this time. Five months later Bobby and Regina would announce their second pregnancy by the spring of 1979, they would welcome seven pound five ounce Bobby Truth, who was named after his deceased older brother. Almost a decade later, they would have a daughter named Gina Ree, who was named after her mother. Bobby wrote a song named after her that's on his album, The Last Soul Man. A year after that, in 1988, Bobby's son with ex-wife Barbara, Vincent, would unalive himself by shooting himself in the head. So I can imagine all of these things compounded, also contributed to the addiction problem Bobby was dealing with. Bobby's addiction would interfere with his ability to work, so this contributed to financial woes. One can imagine that these may have been some of the factors that led Bobby and Regina to separate in the early 1990s that they would actually remarry in 2013 and remain married until he passed away on June 27, 2014 at the age of 70. Now let's take a quick break but when we come back we'll discuss Bobby's little brother Cecil and his two marriages. We're back. So let's begin with some background on Cecil Walmack, Bobby Wilmack's younger brother. Now Cecil performed with his brothers in a gospel group and then became the Valentinos as Sam Cook's protégés in the 1960s. When Sam died, the group didn't know what they were going to do so they broke up. You see they were signed to Sam's label SAR records and without their mentor they were lost. So after Bobby married Sam's widow, Barbara, he would ask the group to start back up and they obliged. But 19-year-old Cecil would be the next Wilmack to leave the group. In 1966, Cecil would marry singer Mary Wells in Cleveland at the Olivet Institutional Baptist Church. Cecil was 19 and Mary was 23. They quickly created their own music publishing company called WellWom. About 18 months later, they would welcome their first child, son Cecil Demetrius and eventually have two more. And while maybe in the public eye, everything seemed perfect. Mary wasn't happy. She said Cecil's love was so overbearing. And allegedly Cecil didn't like it when she talked to other men or women, even if it was just business related and harmless. But of course, you know, it wasn't the same on his side. Like he could talk to anybody no problem in 1972 they would move from los angeles to miami because most of their work occurred on the east coast so we might as well move east they stayed with cecil's older brother friendly jr and his wife in a three-bedroom apartment but sally and friendly jr noticed that their interactions were off they said that they wouldn't sit in common spaces and socialize but would always just go back into their room even to eat also, when one went to the bathroom, they both went to the bathroom. And because they were low on funds, they were allegedly reusing soiled diapers on their children. Probably the biggest reason of why Mary wasn't happy with Cecil was because he wasn't the Womag brother she wanted. She actually had a mutual infatuation with Curtis, who's Cecil's older brother. Now, when Mary and Curtis realized they had feelings for each other, Curtis was married to Donnie's. Shortly afterwards, Cecil began to really be extremely persistent in his pursuit of Mary. At that time, Mary was very annoyed and would tell Curtis everything, but as you can tell, over time, Cecil wore her down and was victorious. Now, the author of her biography, Peter Benjaminson, wrote, quote, the combination of Curtis's marriage, Cecil's unending courtship, and Mary's susceptibility to forceful men finally broke her resistance. Mary was quoted saying, he had me walking down the aisle without me even knowing how I got there. Like, she was even thinking to herself on her wedding day, like, how can I get out of this? But realized she basically couldn't, because too many of their family and friends were already there. Can you imagine feeling bullied into (laughs) getting married? But I guess that is a reality for some. So that led to Mary and Cecil's 11 year marriage with three kids because she was admittedly a pushover. But in that 11th year, Curtis was separated from his wife. He begged Mary to kiss her and eventually she gave in. Now that kiss led to more kisses, which led to a level of intimacy that she didn't necessarily get with Cecil. Cecil always saw the relationship between his brother and wife to be timid very familial nothing to worry about child he should have because beyond the emotional and physical thrill Curtis wasn't jealous and overly protective in the same way his brother was and he was fun he taught Mary how to play tennis and though they were obviously cheating on their spouses they didn't feel limited to the confines of a closet in a family home or a seedy hotel room child they were taking beach vacations almost (laughs) and at this point in Mary's marriage she says Cecil even suggested they see other people which when I I hear that I always assume it's to justify whatever cheating the person that suggested it is doing but you know I could be wrong. But when the rest of the Womack family started putting two and two together they began to ostracize them. This obviously led to Cecil and Mary's separation. Now Mary began to internalize this dent that was caused in the Womack family dynamics and tried to unalive herself by ODing on sleeping pills. Her mom found her and called 911. She would be unconscious for about three days according to Curtis. The events around Mary's stay in the hospital, plus what preceded it, would lead to Curtis officially divorcing Denise and Cecil officially divorcing Mary in 1977. Now, though they were finally able to be open and honest about their relationship, Curtis and Mary would experience a lot of turmoil. She would say that their arguments quickly led to resentment, and allegedly, Curtis would physically abuse her. They would be together for 13 years, but would never marry. But two years after Cecil and Mary would divorce, he would remarry. And who he married was a surprise to many. Cecil would go on to marry Linda Cook, his former stepniece, and the daughter of his slain mentor, Sam Cook. Now they knew each other since they were children. When they met Linda was eight and Cecil was 14. Linda said Cecil proposed shortly after her father died but at that time she was 12. She saw it as a way for him to try to protect her but felt that she was too young. Cecil said she always was more mature than her age. He said quote at eight she seemed like an 18 year old. They would reunite after Cecil's marriage to Mary ended. After dating with intention in 1979, they would go to Las Vegas and get married. They would create a duo called Womack and Womack and go on to have seven children. After a trip to the motherland in either the late eighties or early nineties, they discovered their ties to the Zacharias tribe in Nigeria. So from that point, moving on, Linda would go by Zariah and Cecil would go by Zacharias. They moved to South Africa in the nineties and remained married until Cecil or Zacharias passing in 2013. If I had to come up with a name for this episode, well, I guess I do, but I would call it all in the family. Cause baby, what a story, what a very complicated family story. And I understand now why it has been requested so many times. But please tell me, what do you think? Or what do you remember? <music> Again, thank you so, so much for rocking with I'll Tell You What. I am so thrilled. For us to have finally made it through our first episode we're going to be polishing this kind of finessing it over the next few weeks so give me your feedback be honest was it too long was i too wordy how do you like it i want to make this a better show for not only you but the other people that may be discovering it in the weeks to come so thank you so so much again don't forget to follow us here and everywhere you can especially on the tube if you go ahead and subscribe if you haven't so far. If you're a podcast listener, you can find this podcast wherever you get your podcast. So don't forget to subscribe to Hue I Do there as well. And we're on social we're everywhere you are, including Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, you can definitely find all of this information in the notes below. And next week, we are going to dive into the very also complicated story, but one that y'all have requested as well, about Mr. Harry Belafonte. Rest in peace. So hope y'all have a great one, and I'll see you next week. Bye!